mic's got to be on for me to be able to speak. Um, praise God for you guys and y'all presence here. Um, thank you all, uh, especially the guests. Amen. I know the members, you're required to be here, but the guests, thank you all. Amen. For being here. Uh, praise the Lord for you uh, today. That song um, is very sentimental. Um, to me, I guess it started uh, maybe about a week or so ago at my mother-in-law's funeral. That's where I first was introduced to that song. And I thank Mama <laughs> for wanting that song to be sung at her funeral. Because those words are so true. My soul has been anchored in the Lord. Amen. I also want to thank you all, uh, my church, my family, for your care, for your love. I can't explain how much we have felt loved by just how you've cared for us, uh, whether it be through text, whether it be for however you've done it. We have felt loved and cared for. So I just want you to hear that. Um, I thank my wife uh, for being here. I know how hard it is for you to be here and show up standing. So I thank you for being here. Um, yeah. And I, I don't have the words that Pastor Rich said uh, last week, but I just want to say ditto to everything he said. Amen. It was so good. If you, you weren't here, you missed it. I, I'm sorry, but it was so good what he said. Uh, and so for me, uh, what I would love to do is just show you what the Lord has been doing in my life. As you know, I just got back from sabbatical just as well, and we were hit with grief as well. But the Lord, uh, early on in my sabbatical, I, I attended a funeral, and this text was preached, and I, I felt like the Lord had placed it in my, my life for a reason, and I didn't know I, the Lord would have to use it um, so soon. Amen? So if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, uh, and when you get there, say amen. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Can I hear an amen? Y'all have, I love the pages turning, but I know some of y'all got apps, so it shouldn't take you that long. Amen. Uh, amen, I know. Oh, <laughs> Zach said, old school, come on now, amen. Um, let me read this text to you today. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God, and I'll pray and we can get started. These are Paul's words to... Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Won't you pray, for, pray with me? Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you for your, your grace. Thank you for your love today, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, God. Though we can't see it, God, I know it's I know you're there. I know you're tangibly there. I know you will never leave nor forsake us. You are always with us. You are ever-present through your spirit. So allow your spirit to speak to us today, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Make things plain that we're not plain in our hearts. Deliver unto us, Lord, your word for our encouragement. We need encouragement today, God. God, we need courage. So, Father, thank you for your great grace in our lives. Lord, I, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let their hearts receive. With thus saith the Lord, hide me behind your cross. Allow my words to utter nothing that is not pleasing to you. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Um, I know we've talked a lot about grief in the last, uh, you know, probably several weeks, and uh, I wrestled with how I would start this sermon. But I got to tell this story, because, not to be morbid, not to be, but it, it's something that's dear to me and it's close to me and personal to me. Um, a, a few years ago, uh, I had a friend pass away from cancer. Uh, and, and during this fourth bout of cancer, I got a call, and I remember getting that call. You know, when you get those calls, that you know Something's not right. I had gotten a call before that Nate had cancer. Again, this is his fourth time. But this call was different. So immediately, um, I bought a ticket and I took a plane ride home to Cleveland to see him. See, Nate by this time was in the hospital. Uh, He was on constant morphine drip by this time to ease his pain. And I didn't know this at the time, but he had just gotten the news. Yeah, the doctors couldn't do anything about his his disease. See, the, the, the thing uh, I did was and I, I had three days for that trip, and I knew what I wanted to do was sit by his bedside for as long as I could. So for three days straight, I, I sat by his bedside for eight to ten hours. His wife and his family were getting sick of seeing me. Amen. Yeah, let me just give you a little context about me and his relationship. Nate was the first Christian I had ever met. Um, see, the thing that's really weird is that we met in high school, and I knew he was a Christian then by the way he lived, by the commitments he was making with his life. Honestly, I was like that devil that's on your shoulder and that angel, you know how it is. I was that dude tempting him to go the other direction. That was what I was doing, you know, but Nate always made his priority to live for Jesus. I didn't know this at the time, but I know it now. But Nate would secretly pray for me to become a Christian. And look what happened. What we talked about was, uh, you know, a lot of things. He was a big sports fanatic. He was a big Cleveland Browns and whatever Cleveland fanatic. He was probably the most, you know, Cleveland-loving person I ever met besides myself. But what we talked about the most was his faith faith in Jesus. Nate had fought cancer for a Most of his uh, 34 years of his life when he passed. And what made me curious about his life is is how did he continue to keep his faith in Jesus? During the second bout with cancer, he lost his mother to breast cancer. And during that time, he also lost his older brother, Damon, to a stray bullet. How did he keep trusting Christ, right? And he told me this, and I asked him this. This wasn't a a, a theoretical question. This was actually a question I asked Nate. And he said, having a daily walk with Jesus, having intimacy with Jesus, seeing God's faithfulness throughout his life, knowing his love is what anchored him in this life. He even told me, Mo, he said, Mo, man, seeing you come to know Jesus told me that God answers prayers and that he's real. My friend's life was hard. Losses and grief were were second nature to him. I watched his life, and I I watched him hold on to Jesus. I I thought those three days were about me coming to encourage him, and and, and maybe I did. I I think I did. I'll ask him when I get to heaven. Amen? 
but it was about him teaching me what it means to hold on to Jesus. There are many people, and I know in this, this room that are struggling. I know many of y'all are dealing with things in your life. Life is exhausting, amen? It's exactly the cost on you, right? Pain has a way of being the focal point of our lives and pushing Jesus out. There's a glory war inside of us all, right? Grief has a way of eroding our confidence that there is a good God. And we find ourselves hanging on by a thread. Many of us in this room need hope today, amen? If not today, at some point, you're going to need hope, right? Because life is unpredictable, right? As my sister uh, Jordan Speakman always says, grief has no rules. It can leave you feeling helpless and hopeless. Today, this text is trying to give us courage. It's trying to give us uh, some hope and resilience to keep holding on to what's held on to you. Let me say that again. To keep holding on to what's held on to you. We live in the tension of the now and not yet. Where the impact of the fall is felt. We feel the impact of the fall. It's real to us. We experience brokenness, suffering, grief. But the gospel has realities too that we, we feel and we experience. There's a real God. The gospel has saved us and ripped us out of the hands of sin and death. We know that. But we have God's presence with us, his comfort, his love, his power. And we have to hold on to the hope and the resilience it provides us. Today, what I'm trying to do is help us see two things. I got two things. Hopefully, I won't be before you long. I can't promise you that, but hopefully. Amen? We keep holding on by two things. Allowing the gospel to narrate our story. And we hold on by anchoring your story in the future gospel realities. Amen? And let me tell you a little bit about this letter. This letter was written by Paul, like I said, to his son in the faith, his spiritual son, Timothy. This was Paul's final letter, right, in the New Testament, not because he was getting hand cramps and he didn't want to write anymore, right? Not because technology had changed and he, didn't, he, he was texting Timothy now, like, hey, brother, what you up? You up? Nah, man, I'm chilling. You know what I'm saying? None of that was going on. But because he was facing a death sentence, we see this in verse 6 that we didn't read, but it's the previous verse. Paul spends his last moment sitting in a Roman jail waiting to be sentenced to death. And what is he doing during that time? Penning a letter to someone he loves. That sounds amazing. I, I pray that I could be that type of person. Because what, here's the thing. Timothy needed encouragement. What do we know about Timothy? Timothy had stomach issues because he dealt with anxiety. Amen? I saw Paul suggest him, hey, try a little wine for your stomach. Right, Timothy? He's telling him because he was dealing with this, like he had, he had things that were going on in his life that caused anxiety. First of all, let's humanize the people in Scripture just based on that. That pastors get anxiety too, and we have anxiety too. Amen? And here's the thing. There was other things going on at the time too. During this time, Christians were actually being persecuted. Caesar Nero at the time was persecuting Christians because the great uh, fire in Rome had just taken place in 64 AD, and he blamed Christians for doing it. So there's a widespread of persecution of Christians. They were killing and, and, and imprisoning Christians. So he's, there's fear. There's enough to be scared of to bring us anxiety. But he also saw this, that, 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 that since Timothy was uh, the pastor over the church of Ephesus, Paul was saying in the culture that people weren't adhering their lives to sound doctrine or sound teaching. 
right? The people were, people were moving away and finding the gospel to fit their needs, right? So what Paul was doing was saying, hey, stop distorting the gospel. Timothy, I want you to persevere. I want you to endure. I want you to hold on to what's being taught to you, and I want you to teach the faith as, you, as I have taught it to you. As we get to the verses today, that's what, we're, what Paul is helping Timothy, by pointing to himself as an example of faithfulness and perseverance. See, we typically, again, like I said, see these verses preached at funerals. Amen? How many of y'all have heard this text preached at a funeral? But here's the thing, something that John uh, t- taught me a long time ago, not John the, the gospel or John the Baptist, but John the, the, the person formerly known as pastor here, Amen. That, that, that funerals are for the living and they're not for the dead. Because people who need the encouragement are not the dead, but are living. And this text is to inspire and encourage the living. And Paul is trying to encourage us by telling his story as an example of what it means to stay faithful despite all the hardships and persecution he was going through. What we see here is the Cliff Notes version of Paul's life in, in two verses, telling us what it looks like to hold on to what held on to him. Paul had been through a lot. We see that catalog throughout Scripture, right? He dealt with pain. He dealt with adversity. He dealt with all kinds of discouragement. But everything he went through, he did to teach someone else, to help us and give us courage. My first point is found. It says the gospel has to narrate our story. What I'm saying is, Holding on to Jesus or holding on to our faith allows the gospel realities to overshadow the fall realities. I enjoy watching TV shows. I'm, I'm a person, I, I like watching movies. If you see me on my phone, I'm watching the show, amen? That's what I'm doing. But the shows I typically like to watch are the ones where, you know, one of the characters are narrating the story. How many of y'all like those? Like things like the Wonder Years, right? Th- things like Blackish, right? That's being narrated by a voice, right? And things like Forrest Gump. If you didn't know, Forrest Gump was actually narrated by Forrest Gump. If you didn't know that, amen? And a lot of times, narrators, what they do is try to give us context to a scene by by doing a flashback to the past to, to help us understand the current scene that they're in. They want you to fully understand what is happening in the current reality, and what they do is to show you how the past scene or the past event is impacting the current reality. Our lives are a collection of stories, friends, that impacts how we see and how we experience life. Past events color in the the, the, the scene of our current reality. Past stories give shape to our current stories. For example, um, we find our identity in hearing the stories of our ancestors, amen? I stand before you as an African-American man, and I am proud to be one, amen? Because I know the story of my people and what they had to go through to persevere in this world, especially in America. That's part of my identity. That's how I, come, I bring myself into a space like this as well. Stories of bad relationships, right? Narrate how we engage in current relationships, don't they? Amen or oh me? Some of y'all know. Some of y'all have been through so much bad relationships. Y'all have been like, man, it colors on how you see the other person that you're about to date. Amen. Somebody's not telling the truth in here. (laughs) Stories of attentive or non-attentive parents impact how we experience and how we see God. Amen? The gospel is a story. It's a narrative form. It's a story about a past event that gives shape to how we live and experience in our current reality. Your experience with the gospel should impact how you experience life and how you daily live. 
But here's the thing. Is the gospel the only story going on out there? Just like it's not the only movie at the movies, right? Amen? There are other narratives and stories out there. All of life experiences and stories can overshadow it. There are other narratives about life that can dominate our hearts and minds. They tell us what life is all about. They tell us how to live, what matters most in life, right? What's the purpose and the goal of life? How I should live my life? What's the aim of my life? There are so many stories that make up our lives. Living in a broken world, there are so many tragedies and struggles and griefs that can shape how we live in this world and how we experience God in this world. What I'm saying is any event in your life has the capacity to shape how you experience your life. Amen? That's the power of a traumatic event, ain't it? That's the power of trauma. A trauma is a past event that is happening in your life, a tragic event that is impacting how you experience life today. Amen? Physically, right? And mentally. The question is, what story is directing your life right now? What narrative are you, is shaping your life? What narrative are you believing that's giving shape to your life? As Paul grew older, he became more concerned about what narrative was controlling his life and the life of believers. Are Christians believing the right narrative about Jesus? There can be subtle shifts in our story, right, in the story of what we believe about God. As we navigate the rough terrain of this life, this impacts how we live in the world. It impacts how we experience life as believers. What Paul was doing with his story is trying to help Timothy keep the gospel story at the center of his, history, of his, of his story. And he was telling him how to hold on to what held on to him. In verse 7, Paul gives these three statements, right, about his story. He says he fought, he finished, and he kept. Each statement was in the present perfect, which means there's a past action or event that is impacting his present outlook, outlook or state of being at the moment. Each statement is linked, is a link in the chain, like a, like a Cuban link, like a, like a, I wish I had a Cuban link in one right now, but like a Cuban link, right? And they're not separable, like a necklace, right? Each is, is, is connected to the, this thing called the faith. So he fought the good fight of the faith. He stayed faithful and finished his race, and he kept the faith. Amen? He's saying there's something that has grabbed hold of me, and I, and I have never let it go. There's something that, that has pierced my heart. There's something about this gospel that has come to me, and it's grabbed a hold of my heart, and I didn't let it go, and now it's impacting how I experience life and the outcome of my life. Amen? In other words, the gospel... The gospel should be the focal point of our life. And the fight that we're in, in particular as we get there, is the fight to keep that the focal point of our lives. And it's supposed to fuel us. Amen? And in this, he also uses this metaphor of, of, of sports, right? You see in this text, you don't see it directly, but you see it in other passages like 1 Corinthians 9, where he talks about the Christian life is used as a, as a run or as a race, or he uses boxing metaphors. With the goal to help believers in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9 to live diligent and intentional lives with their eyes set on the prize of eternal life in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy, he returns to these metaphors to describe how keeping the gospel essential to your story gave him the courage that lasted to the end. The first statement Paul says is that he fought the good fight. What he's saying is that the Christian life is a fight worth fighting. Amen? That is the fight that we are all in, Right? Again, the boxing metaphor, and the word good is describing the type of fight. It's the most important fight. It's the championship fight. It's the fight for glory. Do you understand there's a glory war inside of us? Are we going to give something else the glory, or are we going to give God the glory? 
We're all tempted to to give ourselves self-glory. But what God wants is to get the glory out of our lives. That means he wants all of us. The most important fight that you will personally ever engage in in your life, and please believe this, and all the, and what all humanity is, is, is fighting for and trying to, and there's a fight for their attention, is who is Jesus? That's what Peter was asked. Who do you say that I am? That question, that question wasn't just an abstract question. It was an intentional question. Because the fight for faith in Jesus is the fight we're all in. Amen or oh me? We see this. <laughs> That, the, that faith is the wrestling mat in which we will all fight. Amen? This is why he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you, were, you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is telling Timothy, the fight that you're in takes shape as a fight to keep Jesus the object of your faith. To continue to keep grips on the reality that God has provided us in the gospel. And so here's the thing. I, I keep using this thing, gospel realities. And I say that a lot. You're going to hear me say that a lot. Because I think I should explain this to you. When I say gospel realities, I'm talking about all the benefits we are afforded through the, uh, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Like salvation. His presence through the Holy Spirit. Change, rest, peace, love, comfort, care, strength, power, freedom, healing, adoption, and the list goes on. There is a benefit to being in Christ, right, that corresponds to any hardship, any suffering, any pain that you're going through right now. Part of Paul's message is you have already actually won through the gospel. The other part is that you still got to fight. You still got to fight, homie. It says we are fighting to continue to embrace the realities of redemption. To live in the narrative of the gospel. Life is a fight. Why? Why is life a fight, y'all? That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer that. Because somebody is fighting at us. Somebody's bringing the fight to us. Something is slapping you in your face right now about life. Someone's trying to punch you in the face right now. And are you, what are you going to do? Stand there and take it? Maybe you might have to. But that's the reality. You, let me be real. I wish there was a fight that I ever could have be, been in when I was a young kid. And I fought a lot when I was a kid. And I wish that dude didn't fight back. Amen. But the reality of life is that people hit back. Tell my kids all that. You're going to hit somebody. No, they're going to hit back. And so your hit better be here. You better make your hit count. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now, that ain't, that ain't joking, boy. Y'all think people are suffering in our church, right? People are fighting all kinds of things from sickness they are grieving loss, as, as Pastor Richard has been saying. They are suffering from mental health disorders. They have gone through traumatic events, right? We, we live in a world where there is injustice and mass shootings, where there's poverty, where there's sex trafficking, there is abuse, there is murder in our own communities. People are losing their homes and their lives in the fires in Maui, right? Amen? And this is personal to our church and to our story. Last year, a little bit over last year, we lost a good friend and a dear brother, Tyler May, to his battle with mental health. 
And don't tell me that didn't impact most of us. I've been walking through this past year in grief, trying to wonder what I could have done to help Tyler, believing the words I spoke at his eulogy, fighting to keep the faith close to me, to believe that there's nothing I could have done. But knowing that he is in the hands of my Savior has brought me much comfort. Here's the thing, all of these things have the potential of distorting our outlook on life and shape our lives in a cycle of hopelessness and redirect our faith away from Jesus. We live in a broken world. The tragedies of this world impact us. What happens to our bodies impacts our souls. What happens to our souls impacts our bodies. Our fight is real. The pain and suffering in life have real consequences on us. Suffering can exact a cost on us, like I said. And it distorts how we see God and experience God. We see this with David as he suffered in Psalm 22. Listen to David's words in verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Very familiar words, isn't it? Even Jesus felt it as well in his body. David, in the midst of all the anguish in life and pain, was honest enough to tell us the story he believed about God was being impacted by his pain. What I'm getting at is pain and suffering leave us fighting to hold on. At the same time, Paul learned that pain and suffering also can give us and should give us a deeper experience of the redemptive realities of the gospel. David learned as well. Just look at the rest of Psalm 22. You'll see it come from lamentation, from doubting God's goodness to loving and worshiping God for all that he has done. Amen? Hey, hey, look at Psalm 23. Now he's, he's waxing eloquently in Psalm 23, right? We all know that. Though that I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. Who, what does he say? He's with me. His rod and his staff. Now he's all, he's like, man, God, you're with me in my pain. You're evidence. There's evidence of your love in the midst of my tragedies. That's the goodness of the gospel here, y'all. That God just didn't leave us hanging. Hey, I'm going to leave y'all with some salvation and y'all figure the rest out. He left us with his presence through the Holy Spirit so that we can navigate the hardships of life. Why do you think I'm holding on now? Why are you holding on? It ain't from you, y'all. It's from the Holy Spirit that lives within us. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul declares that he had a messenger from Satan, and in his flesh, right, he anguished in pain. He pleaded with God three times. Y'all, man, let's, let's humanize this, this verse. Sometimes we look at it as just, hey, let me just read the Bible and get my quiet time. And no, he's anguishing. There's mental health and, and all kinds of things going on in this brother right now. And he's admitting it right before us. And he said, I pleaded with God. You don't plead with God unless you are going through. Amen? What God said to him, right? He says, no, I'm not going to take it away. Why? Because it's my power is made perfect in your weakness. My presence is with you. Paul had to deal with the anguish in his mind and the pain in his body. At the same time, grab a hold of the gospel realities. See, we hesitate to believe what goes on in our minds and our bodies are spiritual problems. Some of y'all are walking around here thinking that all of life is just me trying to figure out things. 
getting away from the pain. Hey, if I can get away from people who bring drama to my life, if I could just find the best spouse in life, if I could just get with somebody who's perfect, if it, you know, that's why we have these, when you, when you make a Tinder app, uh, I've never done this, but when, when you, <laughs> amen, when you make those profiles, they want to match you with somebody, so you have the what? Perfect fit, right? So you don't have to deal with problems. Man, y'all, man, get out of my face, man. We live in the fall realities. You can lie on them apps, and they do. Amen, sisters. All right, never mind. Never mind. Y'all playing games. Y'all, I know some of y'all stories with them apps. We hesitate to believe what goes on in our minds and bodies are spiritual problems. We can be blind that something more diabolical is going on, right? Our problems originate in the fall. Let me, let me explain this because that is important. Our problems originated in the fall of man. When evil came into the world, it created all sort of problems. How we relate to God, how we relate to others, even how we relate to ourselves. Self-image problems. Self-esteem issues originated in the fall. How you experience life with yourself, how you hate your body. Body dysphoria. The fall. Here's the thing. And it's impacted our whole person, our bodies, and our souls. The sickness and disease, the grief caused by loss, struggles with depression, addiction, anxiety, insomnia, suicidal ideation, the conflict with others. Your marriage struggles right now. Struggles with pornography. Postpartum depression. Baby blues. The violence and the hate that we experience. The brokenness we see inside of us and outside of us, that's caused by the fall. Holding on to Jesus and the faith means realizing that Jesus has everything to do with how we deal with and where we look to for help for our mental, emotional, and physical problems. Don't think the fact that your boy has gained a few pounds, I don't think are spiritual problems. My overeating and my gluttony is a sin that I'm dealing with even now. And I'm working through how to repent from those sins. But see, that's what we don't want to admit. That your physical problems are also spiritual problems. Y'all ain't hearing me, though. Thank you. I need to hear that. Y'all, what, what kind of church do you think I, I, I'm pastoring, right? <laughs> a, a church that speaks back to me. Amen. I need that. Come on. Thank you. Amen. That doesn't mean we don't need doctors. We don't need therapists. We don't need counselors. That means take your medication, amen? But when we cannot, we cannot think that we live a, a, a totally healthy life if we've never attended to our souls and we think our bodies aren't being impact, are impacted by spiritual realities. But that's what Paul is letting you know. In the pain, in the struggles and tragedies of life, God's presence and power is being felt through the gospel. There's a beauty in the midst of your suffering. There is a rose that grows out of concrete. And, and, and as we experience the grief and pain in this life, we are sharing in the suffering of Christ, which means we have his presence. That means all those gospel realities that I mentioned before, that we are, that, that we are experiencing his comfort, his strength, his long-suffering, and his care. Holding on to Jesus, what, Je what Jesus affords us through the gospel is how we fight. The pain and the suffering of the Christian life leads us to experience God in ways we would have never experienced them if we had not suffered. I love what Tim Keller had to say in his book. 
It says one of the main ways we move from uh, abstract knowledge about God to personal encounter with him is as, as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. For the gospel to narrate your story, this means we are genuinely having a deeper experience with Christ. Joni Erickson Todd, I love to read her work. She says this, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. Come on now. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. When I'm, <laughs> you can read it up there, sister. Uh, <laughs> what I'm getting at is Paul is saying the most important part of fighting is learning God's chief desire is not to take away your pain or to heal you, but to draw you closer to experiencing him in all his gospel realities. Though God can heal you with one touch, he'd rather hold you in his comforting arms for a lifetime. Oh, that's me, Muhammad Ibn Abdul Hafiz. So if y'all going to take a picture right now, I thought I love that. Go ahead. Y'all going to credit me. Amen. Holding on to the redemption realities helps us fight because of continually narrating and giving context to our fight. How do we do this? By continuing to allow God to reframe how we experience life through his story. That means inviting people into your story. Oh, that's where it gets messy, isn't it? Letting people hear your story, hear your stories of trauma, hear your stories of pain, allowing people to see your tears, and allow them to shepherd your heart back to Jesus and experience his story. We need to experience the gospel realities. And that's what we need is people shepherding our hearts. That, gives, that means giving people authority in your life to tell you when you're tripping in a loving manner. Because the Bible says, do it with the spirit of gentleness when we correct people. Amen? Some of y'all need a gentle bone in your body. Always rebuking, never loving. Sorry, y'all. It just comes out my mouth. Um, be reminded today that one of the beauties of Christ's work, you, you, you don't have to see your suffering or pain through the lens of defeat or hopeless, but through the lens of resilience and hope. So we also look forward to something, right? Eternity, right? That God will one day bring complete healing and comfort, right? We hold on to that reality, right? That one day you will be in the presence of our Lord and he will personally, I love this, he will personally wipe away every one of your tears. Man, think of a big, great big God, a loving God, a huge God that created the universe, and he attends to your wounds. Come on, y'all. What Paul says next, because I got to keep going. I'm going to be shorter on these parts. Don't do that. <laughs> Paul tells us that he finished his race. Paul is saying it's the Christian life. Is not about, the Christian life is not about being first, but staying the course to the end. If you've ever ran long distance, and everybody who knows this, I hope I'm right. Don't judge me. I, you know, I run, but I don't run that far. Amen? Um, but if you've ever run the peach tree race or something like that, you know it takes essentially two things, right? Endurance. You might look at this body and say, Mo, you cannot run. Man, forget you, first of all. Second of all, no one thing. Yes, I can run. Just not that far, like I said before. I don't have the endurance to run. My endurance is faded. The other thing you might have, you might, 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 might not know, but it also means if you're going to participate in a race, that means you have to stay the course. You can't take shortcuts. 
Paul is stating that life is about the endurance to stay the course. The gospel helps us endure the trek of life. God is calling all his people to endure, to stay the course, to not be derailed by distractions and the temptations in life. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2a, he really captures the heart of what I'm saying. He says, therefore, we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This cloud of witnesses are people in Scripture who, have, who are an example to us of faithfulness in the Lord and of faith. And we look at them, and when we see them, we're supposed to be encouraged to remain faithful. Hebrews helps us understand what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy, because there are obstacles in our lives that prevent us from fully giving our lives to Jesus and remaining faithful. He exhorts us to lay aside every hindrance in the sin, right? Some translations actually say the, the weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily trips us up. We are to do everything possible in our lives to continue to keep running, to rid ourselves of the things that would keep us from being faithful. The beauty in this text is that he gives a solution. Sometimes we look at the Bible, we're like, what's the solution? Give me the A, B, C, and D. He gives us the A and the only solution that is doing what? To fix our eyes on, the, on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's allowing the gospel to narrate our story. This provides the ability to, for us to take our chains off and to continue running. That's what repentance is. I hope you all understand that. It's to take your eyes off of yourself, take your eyes off your sin, take your eyes off the pleasures of this life and put your eyes on Jesus. That's the nature of what repentance is. But here's the thing. It's allowing the gospel to narrate our story, right? That's what it's supposed to be doing. Don't get me wrong, because I want you to hear this. The four realities are named in this text. He says this, there are things in our lives that are weights preventing us the progress of your faith. It could be plenty of things. And Pastor Richard actually mentioned some of those things earlier. It could be money. It could be possessions. It could be the pursuit of your own dreams. It could be your own career. It could be a certain relationship, romantic or maybe just friendships. It can be even your family. It doesn't have to always be bad things, Right? There are things in our lives that become more valuable and more important and more of a priority than our walks with Jesus. That's the reality of life. You're putting something before Jesus right now. Let's talk about the nature of sin, that we're all sinners, and we're prone to wander. Amen? So what are you putting before Jesus? What are you making a priority? What has become the object of all your affections? What has taken the throne of your life? Oh, you want to... The text I read talks about getting crowns, but here's the thing. You want to crown yourself, but you don't want to crown Jesus. You want this life to be good to you, but you don't want to be good to Jesus. How are you being so good to yourself but forgetting that you are to be good to Jesus as well? Let me keep on going, y'all. I got to keep trucking. This text communicates that Jesus is an eternal life is our prize. Our reward is in heaven. It's not here on earth. So why are you running as if all, this is all there is? Some of us run our race as if this is all it is. This is all we're going to get. So let me be happy on this side of earth. Some of us are so focused on what we're getting. And so let's talk about it. Let's be honest. Some of us want to be married so bad we forget that that's not the priority of our lives. It's not the priority of your life. It's not ultimately what you need in life. 
It will never, shoot, I'm, I've been married 16 years, Sandy, tell them. It's hard. And it don't feel like it's always benefiting us. But we do it because God has called us to sanctify one another, to encourage one another, to keep running. So if you want somebody uh, to encourage you to keep running, don't just get married. Have good friendships. I'm going to stop. There we go. Somebody loves what I said. I don't don't need the rest of y'all. Amen. (laughs) But he also says the sin that ensnares us, that trips us up. Sin doesn't just weigh us down. It makes us take a nosedive into the pavement. It injures you. It's trying to cause you a debilitating and severe damage. Friend, uh, snare traps are but a wire. If you ever look up the, I Googled it so I know, a snare trap is is nothing but a mere wire. I remember one time I was running. I'm going to keep this running thing going on. I want you all to believe that I actually run. And I was running one, one, one morning, and I remember when I was running, I didn't see it, but it was right in front of me. But there was a little wire that was stuck in front of me. It was small. You could barely see it. And I remember my feet getting caught on and I fell, hit my knee first. And then you know what happens. You, you put your hands down, debris all in my hand. We in English Avenue. This is the city, boy. I don't know what's on this ground. But some debris was in my hands, glass. All that thing, I was injured. My hip had twisted. I couldn't keep running after that, and I didn't. That's what sin does. It trips us up in a way that we stop running. It prevents us from running, right? But that's why we have to fix our eyes on Jesus and, and, and live in the reality of redemption. The gospel tells us who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. We're absolutely free. What Jesus did for us on the cross and through his resurrection, we are no longer bound. We have new hearts. We are new creations. We have the ability to lay aside all our sins and our hindrances like garments. The way you take off your clothes, the way you, you, you get ready for bed, you can take off your clothes so easily, is the way he's telling us that we have the ability as Christians to take off our sin. Now, some of y'all are in tension right now. Why? Because you haven't experienced that, right? Some of folks in here are trapped and unable to run because you have been playing with sin. It has been your pet for so long. You've coddled it. You thought that, hey, this isn't going to damage me or injure me. But you've been so caught up with your sin, you forgot to run. It's trapped you. It's ensnared you. It's enticed you. Now you're looking around. Why can't I love Jesus? Why can't I turn back to Jesus? Because it's got you wrapped up, y'all, in a bear hug. So what do we need? What do we need? So here's the thing, the solution's still the same. Well, one of the things that sin can do is, is confuse you or distort the fact that you think that Jesus can't give you freedom. The answer's still the same. Fix your eyes on Jesus, endure, persevere, keep putting your eyes on Jesus, take it off your sin, put it back on Jesus, keep it there. And what do you need? You know, one of the things I love is if you got, you know, if, you walk, if, if, you, if you're walking with two people, you're, you're going to see one person on one side and see one person on the other side. And that reminds you when you have people in your life that I need to keep running, right? I need to keep running. I need to keep running my race. I need to keep running the course that is set before me. And that's what we need people in our lives to do, to remind you to keep on running. Paul says he has finished the race. That doesn't mean he finished the race perfectly. He stumbled. He fell. Absolutely. Look at his relationship with John Mark. You don't think that was part of his sin? 
That's why in the end of this book, he says, send John Mark to me. He saw some benefit in that relationship. So what I'm getting at is this, y'all, is that what John said the other day, and I want you to understand this, because I think some of us are allowing the narrative of our stories to be shaped by shame. And what John has communicated last week was beautiful. He said, on your worst day, God never thinks about you the way you think about yourself. And he also says this, though. He also, this is what the Bible says as well. And this is me saying it in my own way. Jesus has never turned away from a sinner, but turned towards him, offering the redemption and, and care. That fall I took kept me from running, yeah, for about a week. But guess what? I got back out there and ran again. For somebody who needs to hear this, get back up and run. Get back up, Romans. Then he says, this last one, I kept the faith, and I, I'm going to finish my, my, my last point very quickly. We have to guard ourselves and protect ourselves at all times. The reason why I believe Floyd Mayweather is the best boxer, well, one of the best boxers, let me correct myself, of all time is not because he has the ferocity or the punching power of Mike Tyson. It's not because he has the charisma or he has the social consciousness of Muhammad Ali or the speed. It's because he did what the referee tells him at the beginning of every bout, protect yourself at all times. He has the best defense in boxing history. One of the things that Christians need to do is guard yourself. That word kept means to guard, to protect. This is, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying protect your faith in Jesus. And it's talking about both your personal faith and it's talking about your, the faith and the collection of the faith. The things, the doctrines of the faith. You see this in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. It says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me and the faith and the love that you, you, that you are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. How you inform yourself about the faith is very important. As a church, we've dedicated ourselves to being biblically rooted. Why? Why have we uh, told ourselves we need to be biblically rooted? And we're not talking about just a certain, uh, 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 or ascribing ourselves to a certain school of theology, but we're talking about allowing Scripture to have authority in our lives, seeing the, 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 the glory of Scripture, knowing that it's inerrant, it is sufficient, right? It means that we're allowing the gospel to, to, to narrate our lives and our stories, that we are being informed and directed by the Bible, the source of where you learn about God will impact how you, what you personally believe about God. When I'm asking, are you even reading your Bibles? Do you know how to read Scripture? That should be a priority for every believer. The world has some dangerous and erroneous ideas about God that are birthed in the hearts and minds of men, not in the mind of God. The Bible is not birthed in the minds of men, as as Timothy earlier in chapter 3 reminded us. It's God breathed. It's God's word. It's his message. It's his story. We are bombarded with thoughts uh, about daily life all the time. Just look on Instagram. Go on TikTok. Go on YouTube. Go on X or Twitter, whatever it's called. It's telling you how to live your life. All these voices are telling you what to do with your life. And you think they're harmless. Some of them are masquerading as God's voice, and you're letting it be God's voice in your life. When Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1 to guard the good deposit, he tells him how. It's through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's work is to be the guardian of the gospel in our hearts. And one of the tests of a Spirit-filled life is that how we are continuing to live in the truth. The Spirit gives us strength and power, not to depart from the truth about Christ, but also empowers us to proclaim the truth about Christ. Church, what I'm saying is the Lord is guarding your hearts and minds from believing the narrative about Jesus that's not found in Scripture. 
that you make up in your own heart and your own mind about the stories that are impacting your life. Here's what I'm, I'm saying, y'all. We need the covering of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we have the covering of the Holy Spirit is if we stay next to the text. We stay in the text. We have to read our Bibles. We have to read the God, God's word. Here, here's the thing. We need people in our lives are hitting the bu- buzzer of our lives and telling us we have the answer correct, incorrect. The Spirit works through people, so please don't go on Google, right? The, the, the Spirit doesn't work through search engines. The last point, and I'm going to make this quick, anchoring our stories in the, uh, holding, we hold on by anchoring our stories in the future gospel realities. What anchors us today is the reality of God's promise for a better tomorrow. Let me read verse 8 really quickly. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. For believers, the gospel story has already been already written your story. And as we read verse 7, it's the same thing. It's in the present perfect, right? As we read verse 7, we, we notice that it was in the present perfect, which means there was a past work that is impacting the present, but not just the present, but also the future. And Paul continues this athletic metaphor because he's talking about we, us receiving the crowns. At that time, they got crowns instead of medallions or, or trophies. And what he's talking about is he's telling us to hold on because there's something worth holding on for. This life isn't all there is, as I was saying. We hold on because we're, we're, we're anchored in a promise, anchored in a, a better future. The best is yet to come, Christians. You know, you know the way I got my kids to eat the, 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 the terrible things on their plates was a promise that ice cream was coming in their very near future. What Paul wants is to anchor us in a hope and a promise. We get caught up in the stories where people work hard to achieve their goals. We're inspired by people who have attained so much wealth and fame. We love their stories. We think if we work hard enough, then we're going to attain the victory in this life. This isn't what this verse is trying to communicate. It's not saying if you work hard, you can get your crown too. Or you can accomplish the goal of getting into heaven. The focus of this verse uh, in verse 8 is the crown giver. And he says it's a crown of righteousness and it's the Lord of the, the righteous judge. It's not saying that we get our crown by being righteous or being good, but your crown is reserved. Not because of the righteous act you did, but the righteous act that somebody else did. He put your crown on layaway. He purchased it for a future date. Man, the gospel tells us that we're not righteous. No one can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. But God, the righteous judge, sent Jesus to become our righteousness, perfectly fulfilling the requirements we couldn't, taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. By faith, now we, we can, when God sees us, he sees not our sin, not our mistakes, not our pain, not the things that, that we, we, we are ashamed of, but he sees Jesus' righteousness. The gospel has narrated our story. It was a past event that promises a, 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 a future victory. Don't miss this. God is waiting at the finish line of your life to bestow upon you a crown personally. That's what God wants. He wants you to see him, as the, and he wants you to celebrate now. He wants you to celebrate in, which, in understanding that you can take a victory lap because you have the victory now. He says, a crown is for all those who loved his appearing. 
We appropriate these things uh, and these blessings by faith. We sometimes equate our faith as only an intellectual ascent. You know, we become a Christian because we know something about God or about the gospel. We, we become, we, as being a Christian is, is about retaining information, but that's not what it is. Paul is getting at something much deeper. Paul is saying that our hearts have to be attached to the, the reality of the gospel, that the gospel isn't just information to understand or something that just makes logical sense. Faith is about who we love. You are in love with a person if you're a Christian. You are in love with a person. Paul is saying that our hearts need to be attached to that reality. And this might sound weird, so y'all vibe with me for a second. But the gospel should stimulate our hearts. That means arouse our intellect, emotions, and our desires. You don't like those words, stimulate and arouse. Something's wrong with y'all. Y'all got weird things going on. But the reality is that's what it should be doing, stimulating us arousing us to do, to live, to, 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 to rejoice, to worship, right? That's what I'm talking about. When God wants our heart, he wants our complete attention. He wants all of us. He wants our worship. Church, my hope is that you would give your heart to God. My last question for you is what is preventing you from giving your heart to God fully? You can't just read your Bible and attain information. You need to read your Bible and experience the, the word of the living God. That's why the Bible says his word is live and it's active because it's actually a person talking straight to you. Come on, church. Y'all better be with me. Last thing I want to just say this is, church, my hope is that we as a church would do more than just learn about God but love him. Return back to him what he gave so freely. Remember, friends, we, gave, we gained crowns because he wore a crown of thorns. God sent his son Jesus to take the burden of our sin, as I was talking to before, before, to bring us back to himself. So we would enjoy fellowship, communion, and his love. Jesus defeated sin and death by his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. But guess what? Because he's resurrected and he's ascended, where is he at right now? He sits on the throne with a crown. He's exchanged, truly, ashes for beauty. He has a crown. And he is waiting to give you your crown. Because guess what? We are his children, and plus we are co-heirs to the kingdom. Man, y'all know you need to relish in those beautiful gospel realities. God is asking for you to return to him what he has given us so freely. Allow his love to grab a hold of you. Don't let it slip through your fingers. Keep holding on to his love. No matter what life throws at you, God's love and presence will fuel you. It will keep you moving forward. Fight for it. Continue to run. Guard it. Anticipate the promise, my friends. Please keep holding on to what held on to you. Thanks. I'm so glad one day I will see Nathan at the end of my race. I'm so glad I will see Tyler at the end of my race. I'm so glad I'll see mama at the end of my race. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. So grateful for your gospel reality. So I'm so grateful that you saved me and saved those who are under the sound of my voice. Lord, if there's not one, if there's one person that doesn't know you, I pray that they would see you differently today. 
God, we need you. We need you to anchor us in your hope. We need your Holy Spirit. Many times I walk in here, God, I feel so heavy. Sometimes people don't know. It's hard to put on a smile as a pastor and fake it. But Lord, my prayer is that one day we'll be a church that you can show up any way you want to show up. That you have the capacity. And we will find hope and we will find comfort. And our worship will be sincere because we know a living God that has impacted our present reality. That your past work, Lord, has been a work in our hearts today. God, let us hold on to your truth. Let us hold on to the gospel. It's in Jesus' name, amen.